Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. I'm Liz Mitchell, and welcome to Bring It On a multiple award-winning radio show in our 16th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, I'm Roberta Radovich. Recently, I approached our show's producer, Clarence Boone, to request a special edition of Bring It On to discuss a variety of current events, pertaining to how our strong black sisters have made an indelible mark in our society through history, today, and into the future. Here to help us unpack a wealth of notable stories involving black women are Bloomington's strong black women. Hannah House Assistant Director Shalonda Bledsoe, Assistant Director of the O'Neill School. Um, sorry about that, she's not gonna be here. And Beverly Callender Anderson, Welcome, Beverly, who is Director of Community and Family Resource Department of the City of Bloomington. And that's Bloomington's queen, is Beverly. <laughs> that's <laughs> my you. opinion. Thank you, Miss Liz. Thank you. Well, welcome to bring it on, ladies. Yeah, welcome to bring it on. And I want to say that my co-anchor requires introduction as well. So if you will allow me, Ms. Liz Mitchell, our our local region's um, official historiographer, archivist, and the lead visionary on an amazing um, physical renovation of a beautiful little church down in Bedford. So we are so pleased that um, I am so pleased that she's my co-anchor for today and she required a little introduction as a, a profoundly important Black woman in Bloomington, Indiana. Happy to be with you, sister girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead and just jump right in. Um, I'm, I'm getting a little feedback saying that my volume is a little sporadic, so we'll all just kind of lean in and, and do a little bit better um, as far as the audio as best we can for our listeners. Okay. Beverly and, and Shalanda, uh, I am recently joined a group of six women, all different, three white, three back, black, Republicans, Democrats, uh, different faiths. And one question that one white woman asked, and I'm gonna put this to you. Black women have are betrayed of always being strong. Where has it gotten us? Can you can you answer that? I'm, I'm curious about why she asked the question. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, Jalanda, you wanna go or you want me to take it or? Um, I was, it's so funny that that was the first um, question asked. I just got done talking about this with my coworker less than like an hour ago. Um, I feel that us being labeled as strong has not really benefited us as because it's meant to be a compliment, but for black women, it tends to carry a lot of weight. Um, being called strong as a woman of color, um, depending upon the arena, can put you at a disadvantage and 
make you feel like, okay, I'm strong, but do I feel? Do I have pain? Do I, can I say that I have mental illness? Um, it takes away from, oh, you're so strong. You don't need a man. You don't need anyone to help you with your children. It leaves a lot of us being single mothers. Uh, saying that we are strong can take away from us when we are in labor because, oh, you're so strong. You don't feel pain. Um, so yeah, I know that I'm speaking from my own experience. Um, I recently went through a divorce and Everyone's like, oh, you're so strong. But no one said to me, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Girl, you so strong, you can do this. But the reality of it was, is I was broken. Mm -hmm. And I was not feeling strong. Yeah, yeah. And so because of the label, you're strong, I walked through my divorce by myself and it hurt and it still kind of hurts. Yeah. So yeah, it doesn't always, it's not, it's not always a good thing. Okay. It's just not. And, and we, oh, go ahead. No, that's fine, Roberta. You go ahead. Oh, and I do, you know, I want to make sure that we're remembering that that has a historical context yes. around yes. it. Yes that is rooted in the legacy of black women's oppression. Yes. Um, and you cannot disconnect uh, a cultural or a popular idea about the strong black woman and not talk about um, rape, <laughs> taking of children and in, in dehumanizing the black woman's body through yeah. the process of slavery. So I just wanna make sure yeah. we are you know, connecting our story of both triumph as well as the struggle. Yeah. The historical context. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're right. I mean, absolutely right, Roberta. And, and I think that use, it's, it's the use of the word. Words are so important. And, and I think by using the word strong, I mean, traditionally and historically, it's like you, again, you don't need as much anesthesia for childbirth. You don't need, you know, you can take this pain. You don't need a husband the way, you know, the delicate white woman might need, you know, her man to help her do something. And so I think that using that word strong is, is a negative context that, that, that people have tried to play with and make it a positive. I think black women are resilient. I think black women are the yeah. most resilient creatures on earth and that, and that we can do what we need to do. That doesn't mean we don't feel, that doesn't mean we don't, you know, feel need things like other women do or, or feel things that other women feel. We are resilient and I think that, but, but we will do what we need to do whether it's to provide for our families or hold up our men or make sure our children are getting what they need. I mean, we will do what we need to do. And, and so I just think that strong has always been a, a mislabeled or uh, uh, we have been mislabeled um, by that context of what strong means as opposed to resilient. Um, I, just, I just think that that's a better word for the women that I know and, and, and who we are. Okay. I I agree. Resilience is a, like that. <laughs> that's a powerful world. Word. That means agency too. 
Yeah. That's yeah. one of the reasons Dr. Devane and I named our production company Resilience Productions. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, Beverly, you've been here for a while. I met you uh, from the post office when you first got That's here. That's right. I thought of myself as the official greeter. <laughs> you were you were my official greeter. <laughs> so, uh, and, and that didn't get, go over too well with other folks. Well, <laughs> but that was okay. I kept up what I, I did, what I needed to do. Listen, but when you meet the people at the post office or at the Kroger, you, you got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people be hating on a sister now, but that's all right. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but what I was trying to get at is that Beverly and I have been here for such a long time where you didn't see Black women in, in virtually any roles right. here in Bloomington. And we've come a long way. Tell us about, I like Beverly, from your perspective, uh, about how, where we were back when you and I, back in the day. Yeah. Well, this is still our day in uh, it's, yes, yeah, it's still like that. But how how we have Bloomington, I'm talking about mm -hmm. Bloomington, has progressed since you and I known it when we got here. So, yeah, when I got here, and I've been here about 22, 23 years, mm -hmm. um, and I, and you were here, you know, a little before I was, Liz, and I, I can remember, like, being at Kroger on the east side and seeing another Black person and being so happy, and, and just, and you just walk up to them and speak, and was like, oh my God, you know, hello, you know, where do you go to church, what's your name, you know, we get your hair done, uh, <laughs> all the important questions, um, I don't remember seeing now, Doris, Doris Sims may have been in city government at that time. Um, I don't know that Vitala Farrell had been elected, had been appointed as judge yet. So, so at that point, um, and I was working at Stonebelt, so I don't know, other than you at the post office and Doris in City Hall, that there were any other Black female professionals that I knew throughout the city. Now, over time, we've got um, three Black female elected officials. We have a judge and a, a judge um, Val uh, Houghton. Uh, Nicole uh, Bolden is our city clerk. Nicole Brown is our county clerk. Um, I'm a department head at the city. Uh, we have Shatoya Moss as our safe and civil city director. We just uh, recently brought on a black uh, social worker to the Bloomington Police Department. Um, so I think that, that things are coming along not fast enough for me because it's been 26 years. I don't think we have a black female police officer, firefighter, um, you know, and the fact that I can still count them and name them um, says a lot, you know. So, but I will remember when I worked at the city, when I first came to the city um, and the mayor at that time was Mark Razan. And one of the things that we talked about is that people hire who they know. And if you don't know people of color, if, if, if your world is that small and you don't branch out and expand and know more people of color, when, the, when positions come open, you don't think of them. And so much of what happens in Bloomington is who you know. It's not what you know, it's, it's who you know. And, and so it's been part of my mission to in, in, in my role at the city, and I think some other people as well, to make sure that more people got connected in those places so people would know them. Um, I will say that Joy, um, Joy Brown is at the Chamber of Commerce now. So actually, as I'm thinking, there are more people that I'm thinking that have moved into professional positions. But, um, but you know, we've got to make sure that 
that people are known, that, that people in power know. You know, we were talking before we got on the call about Don Griffin becoming the new deputy mayor. That will expand knowledge exponentially. Like, you, you know, just because Don's reach is so far. And so he will then start to expand the reach of other people, you know, in the city. And so um, that's going to be, that, that's just a, an amazing appointment. It's going to be really important. Uh, same thing with the hospital. And, and I, I'm sure, you know, it's probably how IU works on some level as well. Yeah. So, we, there yeah. is one black female officer and she is the second in the history of the Bloomington Police Department. Yeah, and one beef nice. I've had, and I've been talking about it for years, is to hire more black women on the in, on Bloomington's police department. Uh, fire department, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think they've ever had a black female. I don't think they have either. And so those were the things that I've, as far back as Mark Cruzan, I've been on the soapbox yeah. about that. Even to give them the list of how to go about and recruit. Here well, we and, have, Indiana yeah. has the biggest African affair, Black Expo, and everybody's there recruiting except for Bloomington Police Department yeah. and the Fire Department. And I and, asked them why. You go, yeah. people walking around there that you just pick. Yeah, and we've done a diversity recruitment plan for both police and fire. Mm -hmm. um, I did the one for police, Rafi Hassan did the one for fire. And I, you know, part of it is, is the competition with surrounding communities that yeah, yeah. pay so much more and have so much more to offer socially you know, for African-Americans. Cause it's not just, if you come to Bloomington, you just come and you do your job. I mean, people want to know that the schools are safe and good for their kids and that their spouses have, you know, an outlet. And so that's part of it too. But, you know, part of it is just the recruitment isn't there, you know, isn't it? Well, I'm not gonna say it's not there. It's not as aggressive as it could be. Absolutely. And I agree with you, Beverly, and about there's other reasons. When you come here, you want a social life. Mm -hmm. um, and you want to gather with uh, folks like you, uh, not saying that's uh, being racist, is that you want to feel comfortable. Sometimes you just want to let your hair down and just be with you, with people who know you, that you don't have to explain, well, this is why my hair is like this. And, mm -hmm. and, and you know, we just all know. However, having said that about them not hiring, what about promotions? Mm -hmm. I don't think there's been a, anyone Black in the police department there's uh, one is Charlie Brown. No, there's a black guy in the police department. I can't think of his name was, was just recently promoted. Okay. And, and they're actually, now that I think of it, there may be a black female detective now. Um, but I know that they were, Indianapolis was trying to hire her away. So I'm not even sure if she's still there because once you get really good and people find out about you, then they try to hire you away. Oh yeah. You know, and that, they, that, they do it with them, with the money, with the money. Yeah, well, yeah. That's certainly an Indian university. For our listeners, if you are just now tuning in and listening to Bring It On on WFHB, you are tuning in today to listen to our panel conversation um, celebrating Women's History Month, thinking about the Black women of yesterday, today, and into the future. We're joined by Shalanda Bledsoe, who's the Hannah House Assistant Director, as well as the great uh, Beverly Callender Anderson, who everybody knows um, and loves, who's the director of um, community family resources for the city of Bloomington, and my incredible co-anchor today, our historian, our local uh, Indiana and Monroe 
County, Brown County, all the counties. <laughs> uh, Liz, Liz Mitchell, we are we are here today um, honoring the Black women in our lives in this community and beyond. I want to jump into a different question. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the what's the everyday Black woman's takeaway from 2020? So pride for sure. Um, I think being very proud of seeing the vice president being um, inaugurated. Um, I, I guess I'm an everyday black woman. So I, I, I felt a lot of pride in her, but I also felt a lot of pride in the people that you didn't see up front. Um, like all those women in Georgia that went out and made sure that um, they turned Georgia blue. Um, and, and so I, you know, I think that for me, there's a lot of pride, but, you know, also still a lot of work to be done because as hard as those folks are fighting to, to make sure that, um, elections go the way that they should, there, there are forces fighting against us, um, you know, to make sure that they don't and to to keep us in our place. (laughs) Shalanda, what do you think? Um, I agree with uh, Beverly. I did. I felt a lot of pride um, to see. It was such a moment um, and such an overwhelming moment. Um, I was talking to a friend, you know, they were like, (laughs) people that are not of color don't understand. Um, They're like, yeah, that was just great. But you have no idea what that did to the hearts and minds of every black woman all over the world of color. Mm-hmm. Um, every little girl um, to just see her standing there. She could have never spoken a word, but just her standing there was enough because she was standing there for all of us. Mm-hmm. And so, but we do, we have a lot of work to do. Well, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I always felt that my generation of of folk had that, that we represented each other. And when you stepped out into the public arena, you represented all of us. And uh, all your child was my child. And it was that feeling of connection. And I didn't know or felt like the younger people felt that way. I know why I felt proud. So it does my heart good to hear you say that because you're so young that you felt that way too, that sense of pride. Yeah, she's one of us, she represents yeah. us. And and not only her, but the women that are make, directing films and the woman who, the costume director for the Black Panther and she won that award. I felt like, yay, we, we are going places and we're yeah. showing you that uh, what we can do and that you're finally tapping in to something um, that people didn't know. We knew, but now everybody knows. And that's in surprise. I mean, it, you just, you can't beat that. That's better than a slice of homemade bread. Well, I think, yeah, the sense of pride and, and like Shalanda said that representation, I mean, for not only young black girls, but for young black, white, Latinx kids yeah. to see you know, a, a, an African-American, Asian woman, 
you know, next in line to be president of the United States. And, yeah. and, and, you know, Joe is teetering. So, you know, she might be at some point. Uh, <laughs> Joe's Joe's up. Yeah. I'm just saying. Uh, that, that's a disclaimer. WFHB bring it on. That is, that is not the opinion of WFHB or the city of But Burlington. I want to tell you, that's why I like Brooklyn. She's going to tell it like a T.I. is. And <laughs> that's but, but, you know, I mean, so, so to, I think that that's what we have to, you know, yeah, it's a sense, especially for those of us who are older and we haven't seen that, it's a sense of pride for us. And we feel like, you know, one of our daughters is, has, has made it. But for a kid, when you think about kids now who are 10 years old, or even 15, most of their lives, Barack Obama was president. Yeah. And so, right. and so they didn't, they don't know anything else. And so for babies being born now, you know, they have a black female vice president, possibility of a, you know, a, a, a black female president or, or a, a Latinx female president or whatever down the line. And so it opens up possibilities for everybody. Um, and, that, and that's why I think that that's so important. Beverly, I want to amplify what you're saying. It opens up the possibility. I think sometimes when we're talking about structural racism or implicit bias or cultural competencies, what we're really talking about is, I think somebody said it before, who's your circle of influence? It's not what you know, it's who you know. It's who you know. Just the sheer um, possibilities and the blind spots that have been cracked open on the sides, not just mm -hmm. the glass ceiling broken up on top that have made it possible. I mean, when we think about the litany of Black people who are part of the Biden administration. Yes. Right? Yes, yes. I mean, wow. just, I mean, we can go on and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. you, you have to know that it's both because Biden tunes into people who identify with intersectional identities, but you also have to know that it's also who Vice President Harris is bringing into our, mm -hmm. um, our purview as well and it just it matters representation isn't just about the face it's about like you said white people and latinx and all kinds of other folks becoming more aware of black talent that yes. is out there and around them and yes. has always been Fair but point. now the opportunity to be able to provide a platform for them to be excellent is more readily available when you have more representation and more diversity. Well, and you talk about, you know, the intersectionality um, and, and if you look at Biden's cabinet and, you know, because black women are LGBTQ, black women are part Asian, part Latinx, part yeah. something else. Black women, I mean, you know, black women are not just this monolithic group of people, That's you know, we right. cover all spectrums. And so when you, when you do open that up, you know, it, it opens it up for everybody. Yeah. And it is showing too that from a historian point of view, that white men have nothing to fear. They're gonna they're gonna recognize that the benefits from these doors being open to everybody who are Americans, regardless of their skin color. Uh, and it seems like that particular group uh, that's in that always has been in control want to put everybody in a box. Well, we're going to have to blow those boxes up. You can't mm -hmm. put put people in a box. So that fear, uh, and also that you don't always have to have uh, hold up a white woman over a black woman that we're less than. Yeah. And so this is showcasing that, and that you just don't have to fear, and maybe answer a lot of questions that I think 
white, our, our white brothers and sisters are now asking, well, what's it like? What do they do? Who really don't know us and don't know our culture. But so what, this is presenting that too. Yeah. What I will say though, I think just like in domestic violence situations, when a woman is trying to leave a situation is more dangerous for her than if she stays. I do think this is a very dangerous time for black women because we are coming into our own. And even though we know white men have nothing to fear, we know that we're going to open things up. And when we bring people along, we bring everybody. You so, know, it's yeah. you know, we, we bring everybody. They don't know that because they're thinking out of their own frame of reference of what they would do if they were in power. Mm -hmm. And so now they are so fearful that black women or black men even are going to wipe them off the face of the earth that it becomes a very dangerous time to be a black woman too. And so you sort of have to still stay on, on guard, you know, about what's going on all the time. Oh, you, you do. Know? And that, that's yeah. something that as culturally as a people we've always had to watch for. It's always been interesting to me that there is unlimited money to suppress a small group of people. Mm. Incarceration where, you know, funds are just falling out of the sky to keep you in your place. And I've always thought, wow, <laughs> what? Hmm. Yeah, that's true. That and Liz and Beverly, you help us segue to another. We've talked a, we've talked a little bit, not excessively, but a little bit about why there's cause to celebrate our pride, our sense that the expansion of opportunities is happening. We want to talk a little bit, um, not fatalistically, but realistically. What's the impact of 2020 and the twin crises of uh, COVID, as well as this new Biden administration, how does this culmination of this historical moment, how does this show up in the next five or 10 or even 15 or 20 years, this next generation? How, do, how does this show up in how we understand women's rights, black people's rights, uh, health disparities, advances in medicine? H how does this moment, how do we understand how this moment will show up in the future? Have we started thinking about that? Hmm. I, I've, I've, I've thought about that. And I've, all, I've always thought that for us to move forward, like we've been doing, because it seems in, historically, we take a couple of steps forward and maybe three or four steps back. Then we're kind of, you know, like we're on a swing. We have to be hand in hand with our white sisters. We, we've never been able to do anything solely alone. We've always had to have that counterpart with us and uh, to get things done. You know, this country, it was made for white men. When white men came here, they wanted to carve out America for them. They weren't thinking about women, white, black or whatever, or anybody else. It was the comforts of white men. So anybody else had to fight for just to be considered equal or, or part of it. And we're still continuing that fight. So. For me, for us to, to do better, we still have to work hand in hand, reach across the table and join in. And how frightening that would probably be if I was a white man and always in charge and I got these two groups, poor whites and blacks together and women, white women and black women together, I might be afraid too. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what it's gonna take. And that's my opinion. What do you think, Shalanda? What do you think? Um, I think uh, Liz is right. Um, it is 
even though the tunnel vision, the tunnel that we've been in has been, you know, like Roberta said, broken open, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of, we can see all around us now. Um, we do still have to work with each other. And on a ministry aspect, um, I think we're, we have to look at it in that way. It can't be, you, what, what's your thought? we have to minister to the place. We have to minister to the fear. Mm-hmm. I'm not attacking you. I'm, I'm trying to reach you where you are. Right. So I can't go into a room full of white women and say, oh, I'm here now. I have to walk in and minister to their fear and meet them right where they are. So though you don't like me, I'm gonna do whatever I have to do to reach across the table and minister to who you are so that you can see who I am. Now, you know, young people would say they're tired of ministering to people and meet them where they are. And, And we do. And, and we do, because it's tiring. And that was one of my big things during 2020. I'm so tired of explaining. Well, I'm so, I'm, yeah. I'm so tired of explaining my blackness to you. Yeah, I'm not doing it anymore. That, that was so exhausting. <laughs> but I kept having to remind myself, like I kept having to take counsel with myself. I'll say it that way. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this is exhausting, but if this gets us where we need to go and for you to see me differently and not as a threat, God help me minister. Because if I'm ministering, it sounds different than just me telling you or explaining. Ministry is different from explaining. Mm, that's a really important point. That, yeah, that is. Beverly, you were going to say something. Yeah, oh, I want to hear what you thought. Well, yeah, what you know, say, Beverly? And I think the beauty of age um, is, 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 is that you, you have done, um, a lot of the explaining and, and I am at that point in, on my journey, and this is just my journey. I'm, I'm not speaking for anybody else where I'm probably not going to explain my blackness to you anymore. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to be who I am. And, and I truly believe in meeting people where they are. I mean, that's, that's part of what I do. And I believe in bringing people with like, uh, missions together. They may be doing things differently, but bringing them together for collaborations and helping them learn from one another. You and really all that. do, Beverly. Yeah. I, I, you know, that is just something I, I think is just my call. I mean, I, that's my calling. Um, but at the same time, when I think about people like a Kamala Harris, I think about a person like Amanda Gorman, who was the poet, the young poet at the inauguration. I think about the Stacey Abrams of the world. It's like, okay, we are out there and we are doing it and we are moving and I can't slow down now. And I really can't slow down because I don't have that many years in front of me, but I can't slow down now to bring you up to where I am. You're going to have to catch up with me. You know, you, you, you're going to have to catch up. But I also think that what comes with age is getting out of the way for the Shalandas of the world. So I, I need to do what I do. But I also know there are people coming behind me who still have the energy and who still have the passion. And so at some point, those of us who are a little more seasoned need to move out of the way um, and let some young folk do stuff and, and let them do it a little differently, you know, than what we would do. And I think that it's going to take all of that, that we're not all going to be at the same place at the same time. Um, 
but you know, I, I try to do what I do and I, and I don't get in, I don't get in the ministry lane cause you know, that ain't my call. Um, but, <laughs> but there is somebody that, that is called to do that. And so, you know, and, and I respect that. And, and I think that it's going to take all of those different methodologies to, to make things better in the world. And, and, and again, it goes back to that resilience of, of black women. But one of the things I will say that I hope we all can hear, I mean, I hope that everybody on this, on this broadcast can hear is about self-care because being a black female is so tiring. Like it is, it is so exhausting. And, and especially Shalanda, when you talk about, you know, taking that time to explain and, and, and working somebody through it, that is so emotionally exhausting. Um, and so you just have to remember to take care of yourself and make sure you take that downtime and, and, re, and regroup Wusa a little bit and, and regroup. And, and I completely agree because there were moments, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> like, hold on just a second. <laughs> if I don't step back and one, take counsel with myself and take care of myself, mm -hmm. Houston, we got we, we gonna got have a problem. <laughs> and it's not just gonna be COVID-19. No. Let's, let's pause on that uh, self-care. Let's come back to that. Let us let our listeners know Who's in the house with us today? We have Hannah House Resident Care Director and Doula, and one of my circle of dear, dear friends, Michelle. So, the Director of Community and Family Resources Department for the City of Bloomington, Miss Beverly Callender Anderson. These ladies are joined by myself and the legendary Liz Mitchell, our our very own historian for this beautiful little area of God's country, on the line today to celebrate. Women's History Month, but specifically Black Women's History Month. And we were just about to get into self-care. And <laughs> I love that conversation. And I think the self-care, just if I can get a little you know, pontificate upon this a little bit, I think, Beverly, when you talked about making room for the younger women who have real, and young men and people who identify as men, um, making room for the younger people in our lives to help us come up with new solutions, new solutions and new questions to old problems. They have a very long, um, they have a unique perspective on what this is, what this looks like and but what they want it to look like for their kids and their grandkids. And so kind of moving out of the way while we position ourselves as um, as champions, cheerleaders, um, and educators, and mentors for a new generation of the, you know, Sashay Watsons and um, Shatoya Mosses and Maquiba Reeses and all of these amazing young women, Selena Drake, um, who have really amplified how important a racial reckoning. And what I want to point out about a racial reckoning is something that somebody just said. This idea to me a racial reckoning means i'm asking you as either a self-proclaimed ally or i identify you as an ally to shoulder the burden of responsibility of racialized past in our american context so miss mitchell said you know we've got to walk into these spaces with our sisters we can't we have to include them in our story, but they have to be willing to shoulder that story with us. And I think of somebody like a Mary Beth um, Morgan over at First United Methodist, who is 
so willing to help amplify the stories of brown women and help do that education and help make sure our our local women are getting to the resources in doing that ministry it takes many 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 more white women willing to do that work i think about some of the white women at the hannah house who are stepping into those kinds of roles and so i wanted to bring that back as allowing white women to help carry the burden of latinx black asian lgbtq and trans women is part of the self-care narrative mm -hmm. I, I would like to see us um glue together more what do you guys so, think so yesterday so okay so what COVID has done for me is that now i'm into TikTok, but i'm <laughs> I'm not with you on that because I don't know anything about it. Uh, I'm not a creator, but I but I do look. But yesterday um, was Sojourner Truth Day because I think it was, I don't know if it was her birthday or the day she died or whatever. But, it was Sojourner. but what they did was Black, white creators made room for, to amplify Black voices. And so they're, they're, on their timelines, they were doing things about Black people or Blackness or justice issues or things like that. And so I think that, um, and then there has been another piece about turning the mic over to um, different people. So where, where these white creators online have been giving their mics to the Lovey Ajays and the Brittany, um, oh, Brittany, I can't think of her name, Never mind. But Pagnet. you know, Pagnet. Pagnet, yes, thank mm -hmm. you, Brittany Pagnet. Um, and so um, I, I think that those kind of things are really important. Um, but it's, you know, and, and again, when I say, when I talk about getting out of the way, social media and TikTok, and I mean, you know, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat, whatever, all these social media platforms are that I don't even know. Those are things that people my age are not going to get on and record our life every day on a TikTok app. But the, the information on there is amazing. Like, you know, there's better news and more up-to-date news on TikTok than you get yep. on, on television or in the local newspaper. I mean, you know, you can keep up with what's going on. So, so I think that, you know, as opposed to going, oh my God, those kids just keep that phone in their hands all the time. And again, allowing them to take some of that burden off of you of trying to get information out and do it in a way where they can be heard. Um, really, it just amplifies what we're trying to do. And, and every generation has, has their way in their time. When mm -hmm. I was coming up, you know, you wanted to get information to Black folks, you took it to church. Right. And, and, and everybody went to church and everybody got the information, you know, but now we're in COVID. And so, you know, people, a lot of churches aren't even open yet. So... And I was going to say, and Mary Beth Morgan is at St. Mark's, not first. But. Oh, St. Mark's. My apologies. <laughs> That's okay. Well, I'm proud of you, Beth, because you know TikTok and all that. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> and since COVID, I haven't been with my grandkids. So my, you know, my seven-year-old teaches me about my phone. So I'm well, way behind time. <laughs> I got my 88-year-old mother on Zoom. So I figured if I can do that, I, I'm good, you know, but yeah. we, we got her on Zoom and one of my cousins that she's in her 80s. And so we couldn't have our family reunion this year. So we did a family reunion by Zoom and, and they love it. And so now like every week they're like, are we gonna do another Zoom? Are we gonna do another Zoom? So. <laughs> well, I got my 88 year old mother on um, FaceTime. Ah. But she ain't gonna go get that shot. <laughs> and when I try to encourage her, I, I asked one of the, the black doctors here to call her and she go, yeah, baby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I told him when she says that, 
that means I'm listening to you, but I'm not going. Well, you know, it's really, I mean, it goes back to, you were saying something, uh, Roberta, earlier about COVID. And I think, you know, one of the things COVID has revealed is that what, you know, well, and I think somebody else said it, when when white people get a cold, black folks get pneumonia. It has revealed all of the discrepancies in the community. But then when you look at the older folks, now my sister texted me right before I got uh, started the interview. And so she's taking my dad to get his shot and she, he's all set up. My mom is so resistant and she just keeps saying, I'm just gonna let everybody that needs it to get it first. You know, I'm, I'm just gonna let them get it first. It's like, but you know, you, you really do need it. <laughs> you know, you really need yeah, it. Yeah, baby. So. Yeah, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So. Well, Shalanda, I wanna make sure that you get a chance to chime in here. Uh, what does self-care mean to you? Um, and how do um, our, our, our white sisters help ensure that that's happening um, in that spirit of allyship. Do you have some thoughts on that? Um, I think, like Beverly said, it can be exhausting to have to explain yourself and who you are. Um, but that self-care, the step back, remembering to step back, especially when you've reached the point when there's no listening, um, we don't always have to charge full steam ahead. We can step back. And that's what I had to learn. Like, okay, tell counsel with myself and step back away from this. If my white sister is not getting it, okay, I need to step back to so I'm okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Continuing to keep the lines of communication open and remember to hold space, even when you don't want to. So speaking of holding space, recently Oprah Winfrey held space for Meghan Markle. She did. Let's talk about that. <laughs> that interview? Man, yes ma'am. But how, how many people are surprised? Okay, for our listeners who did not, <laughs> Thank you. Get to, see the, get to see the interview. Uh, I'll give you, I'll yield the floor uh, unless you need me. Beverly, do you want to sum it up at all? So, you know, for those people who don't know, Meghan Markle is a uh, biracial American woman who married Prince Harry um, of Great Britain. Uh, there was an interview this weekend and she revealed that she had experienced racism from within the royal family and um, you know, and to the point that her children um, were not given security as other royal grandchildren had been, and um, and someone was worried about the skin color of what what color that she, she and Harry's children were going to turn out. And so she and Harry left the business, the royal the royal family business, and um, moved to California, where they are now residing with their with their family and and their security that. Um, is being provided, you know, because Princess Diana left him enough money where they can live comfortably. Yes. So I, there were were definitely takeaways for me that left me scratching my head and very, um, I mean, I was definitely one of the people who was starry eyed when Meghan Markle uh, entered the scene. Uh, I look like her, she looks like me, you know, uh, one of those representation moments. And I was really struck um, by how much, even in her telling her story and 
Oprah Winfrey giving her the opportunity to tell her story, a platform, she still was incredibly protective of the firm, of mm-hmm. the institution that hurt her, that, that um, made her question her own humanity and the degree to which it would just make life better for everybody if I wasn't here, right? Right, um, led her to the brink of suicide, exactly. Let her, I mean, so what do you make of, even when Black women have space to tell their story, do we ever get to the story? Or, you know, what are, what are your thoughts? What do you make of that? Well, part of it is that's still her husband's family. Even though they are an institution and they are a business, it's still family. And so you don't want to... I wouldn't think you want to just totally rip it apart. And, you know, and it's still her children's family. Um, so, so I can see part of that. Um, but I also think that um, it, is, it is surprising when people find out that they're black. I think that, that, I, that Meghan Markle has probably gone through life um, pretty well. I mean, she personally, if she didn't tell me she was black, I wouldn't have known. I, you know, it, it's like that. But you know, in England, they they well, uh, well, yeah, the edges. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure the kitchen at some point. Somebody knows. But the, but but you know, in Great Britain, and and they are who they are. I mean, you know, we are America because they are who they are. You know, we the folks broke away, um, and and so they let her know really quickly where she was, and also that they would protect their own before they would ever protect her. And so the whole Prince Andrew piece and, and Jeffrey Epstein comes in there where he was getting busted for being out with Jeffrey Epstein. So then all of a sudden you needed a scapegoat. My opinion, not the opinion of WFHB or the city of Bloomington, but um, but they needed a scapegoat. And so here, here you are. And so they put you in your place, you know? And I mean, I, I think they were lucky to be able to to be able to move, to be able to live on their own, to be able to have enough money, you know, because of his mother and her acting career and their friends like Oprah Winfrey and Tyler Perry, um, that they were able to to come to America and live on their own. Because think of how many people get trapped in situations, whether whether it's a bad marriage or a bad marriage in to the royal family, but you can't leave because you don't have the resources. So. Yeah, I was just so struck of how her story, this sort of international spectacle, Hollywood scale, really does mirror sort of the everyday Black person's story. She spoke very clearly and very lovingly about the Queen and the kindness of the Queen towards her personally and in that interaction, feeling very warm and welcoming Mm -hmm. and reminding her of her own grandmother. But that ju- that um, that cognitive dissonance that must have happened for Megan between feeling very connected with uh, personalities mm-hmm. in a system and in, in an institution that would prefer that you were not there because it prefers not to have any more spectacle on it than is absolutely necessary. And just thinking about how that that happens in our everyday lives, we have people who are very kind to us and maybe even supporting us, um, but we are still in institutions and we are still in situations. There's very clear lines and parameters about just how far you can go or not go. Mm-hmm. Do not expect more. Yeah. Um, uh, what do you guys think about that? Is that something that is 
Is Meghan Markle having a hard time because maybe that's the first time she really got a t an understanding? Um, or, I mean, what do you think? Well, I was gonna let Shalanda go because I think I've been talking too much, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it's, it's really not different. If you think about the, the firm, the institution was her job, even though they were family. And you think about the university or the city or the hospital or Cook or whoever you're working for, there's that institution. Right. And I, I mean, I remember people when I became director of my department about seven years ago, there were people who were congratulating me and I'm so glad you're doing this. And, you know, and, and I, you know, I told them that you should be the next director, blah, 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 whatever. And every time I gave a directive, I was being second guessed every time. Let me go to this white man and see if he says it's okay for me to do this. I mean, to the point where I like, I had to call somebody out like pretty loudly. It's like one more time and you're getting written up. Do not take my directives to somebody else, you know, because even though on the surface, I know you can do the job. I think you can do the job. Just, there's just something about you sort of out of place, you know, you are, never questioned the white male that was the director before me, never, you know, never. And, yeah. and he hadn't even been with city government when he came in. Um, and I had been in the department for nine years already, mm -hmm. but questioned, I mean, I went through that for a few months and I knew it was gonna take people time to get used to it, you know, and, and I'm sure it still happens at some point. I'm sure that it will happen for some of the new, people of color that are coming into the city, you know? And so, yeah. Yeah. So I have a, I have kind of a, um, a different question that's a little bit related. Amanda Gorman. Now she's a young person who understands so very clearly her position as a black woman artist. What does she bring to us as very grown black women and our sense of hope and fortitude and perseverance what do you feel that day on inauguration day when she stepped to the mic in her bright yellow and her red headband i mean i thought i saw a goddess i was like <laughs> this the whole time i was like is this real um and it's she struck in me it became clear to me that I used to say, as long as babies are being born, I know that there is a, a master plan for this universe and all of the suffering is, it, 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 will, it will be revealed to us what it's all about. But I'm telling you, when I saw that young woman step to the mic, I had that same similar feeling. Mm. Like, no, keep going. We cannot stop. What did you, what, what, what does Amanda Gorman represent at this time? For our community, um, for me, um, I got an overwhelming sense of hope. Like there's hope, you know. They always um, peg our young children, our young generation, as this. They don't know anything. They're in their phones, like like Beverly said, in their phones. They don't. They're not paying attention. They're so. They want everything microwave. They. They don't. <laughs> They don't want to work for anything. They ain't about nothing. But she stepped to the mic 
and told them, told the world something different. Mm -hmm. She exuded this light at the end of the tunnel. Like everything that came out of her mouth screamed, I am here. We are here. Watch for us, see us. And wow. so that's that's how I felt. I was like, look at hope, hope is screaming right now. Yes. I remember watching her with my mouth hanging open. I mean, like literally with my mouth hanging open. I mean, and I think I think you're right. I think the colors that she wore, the jewelry yes. that she wore, the way her hair was fixed, she was authentically her. She mm-hmm. she she was on a world stage but she was authentically herself. And then her words were so powerful. And, and everybody watching that inauguration, you had to listen to her. You could, you could not turn away from listening to her. And so um, where you asked the very first question about how we felt, um, and I referred to Kamala and talked about the pride, but then I think on the other end of that pride was hope. I, I, I do, I, I hope is that, is that word. And, you know, but by the same token, more recently, she's been stopped by the police trying to go home yep. to her house. She's been on this world stage with all of these millions of people listening to her words, but she still has to prove her, her she who she is and why she belongs where she is. Like she can't just belong. You know, she has to prove that she belongs. And, and yeah. And, and it's so crazy because that was the question that the police officer asked her. You look like, he told her, you look like you don't belong. You look like you don't belong. Because like, why? are you kidding me? Because why? Obviously you were working during the inauguration. You ain't seen me. Right. So, <laughs> you know. Cause you on vacation. Were you? <laughs> and there it is. The, and, that, and there it is. The work continues. Dr. The Martin work Luther, continues. Dr. Martin Luther King said the, you know, the, um, the, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it does bend toward mm-hmm. justice and we will get there. And Amanda Gorman does represent, like you said, light at the tunnel, we will get there. But I also like what you said too, watch for us. Mm-hmm. Londa, you said, mm-hmm. watch for us. And with that, I'd like to challenge our listeners, watch for us, get to know who are the black women that the Biden administration has appointed. Mm-hmm. Young women. Yes. Women who I mean, young women. Young women. That's right. Um, I mean, young people who are just really starting out in the career are being given huge platforms to make historical precedent. And they're young, qualified women. I think the difference with this administration and the last, they they are young, they are Black, they are Latino, whatever they are, but they are qualified and they are yes. smart and and yeah they're going to do great things representing historically black colleges and universities yes. not, not just vice president harris yes. but yeah. spellman's in the house you know and the aka's all, and the deltas and the, the yeah. aka's and the deltas <laughs> um, my soror uh marsha fudge i marsha well, fudge yeah oh my goodness there's so many things um so many folks keisha lance bottoms as vice chair of the Democratic National Committee. But you know uh, Dr. what? You know, I'm sorry. Ahead. I'm sorry to didn't cut you off. But you don't even have to go that far. Look mm-hmm. at the young Black women in Bloomington. Yeah, yes. that's what I was about the to Gen- say. The yes, Jennifer yes. Crosleys and the McQueeba Reese's and the Selena yes. Drake's. And there are young Black women in Bloomington who are on fire. 
Um, and, and those are the women you need to get to know because, you know, things are happening on a local level and not just in politics, you know, but yes. in the social service world and, and, and in the business world. And Cook has a new um, diversity coordinator, young black female diversity coordinator. And um, I think Crane has a young black female diversity coordinator. And I mean, you know, so look at the women that are right here and get to know them and find out how you can be an ally, you know, how you can be helpful, how, or do you need to get out of the way, figure out what your role is. You might need to get out of the way. Thank you. Thank you. And, and on that note, no, that was a, <laughs> and because we will be together again and we will be in person with each other. And so now is a time to reach out and get to know who is coming into our community to make things better, who's doing the work. I wanna thank our incredible and phenomenal panelists today, Hannah House Residential Care Director and doula, Shalanda Bledsoe, my very good friend, a mentor who's been mentoring me since day one, since I got to Bloomington, the Director of Community and Family Resources Department for the City of Bloomington, Ms. Beverly Callender Anderson, and my co-anchor, Liz Mitchell, uh, thank you for joining us as we talked about and unpacked a little bit of the variety of current events pertaining to our strong Black sisters who've made an indelible mark on our history. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We wanna make sure that we're sharing everything and anything impacting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address again is bringiton at wfhb.org. Also, if you have an event or a happening the African-American community would like to know about, please send it, please send the info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you may have heard or you've heard our guests talk about, please contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is my very good friend and big brother, Clarence Boone. Our assistant producer is William Hosea. Our consultant and WFHB news director is Cade Young. Our program engineer is Chantal LaFontant, and our original theme music was created by Jamil Effium with additional background tracks by the one and only Dr. David Baker. For, for WFHB, I am Roberta Radovich. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.